Welcome to the Attic Monologues. Episode 1, The Stars of Fire. <laughs> Is it on? Yeah, hang on, I think I got it. Testing, testing. The wavy lines means it's working, right? You think I know? You're the one who's always got your headphones stuck in, listening to podcasts and whatnot. I don't make podcasts, Nick. You're the art student. I'm a theatre student. I do theatre. I think you'll find that usually involves a lot more stagecraft and, you know, physicality than an audio recording. You've heard of voice actors, right? Oh, shut up. Anyway, explain all this to me one more time. I've already explained it to you, Bella. Okay, then explain it to the phone. You should have an intro to these sorts of things. No one else is ever going to listen to these sorts of things. I mean, it never hurts to practice. You have to do an intro to your audition tapes, right? It's the same thing, just less formal. Since when are you an expert on audition tapes? Since I live with you. Go on, do an intro or something, like... My name is Nix Ryland, and I'll be your host today. Today, I'll be talking about the mysteries <laughs> of the masked arts of the stage. I love how hard you're trying. I'm going to give you a B-. minus. You do better, then. When you're famous, I can dig these recordings up and sell them to the Sun or the Guardian for a quick buck. I did. Or you can just do it for yourself for next year when you get a new phone and find these old gems in your notes. Or when you're 60 and you're looking through old files on your janky home computer and you find 19-year-old you still with light and hope in your voice <laughs> before you got ancient and the crushing wheel of capitalism broke you. The fact that you think our generation will live to 60 is adorable. I don't know about you, but I plan to sell my soul to the Fae and live forever. Yeah, fair. Okay, fine. Just for you. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Nix Ryland, and welcome to my audio notes. Hopefully you're me, and this never reaches the ears of literally anyone else, or I may vaporise instantly, and have to sue Bella for breach of privacy. Okay, I'm here today because auditions are coming up soon and I need to practice, like, recording auditions, I guess. Okay, so my mum's been clearing out the attic over the summer and she found this super old wooden chest with, like, a bunch of old handwritten monologues, which must have been left by whoever owned the house before us. Excerpts from whole plays or standalones. I don't really know. There's no signatures or anything. Anyway, they all look pretty interesting, so mum let me bring them back to uni so I could use them for practice into different characters, doing short pieces, trying out more modern writing, you know. More of a Shakespeare person. Still can't believe you like Hamlet more than The Lion King. You can't beat the original. Hamlet is so much deeper because there are so many different possibilities for interpretation. People spend their entire careers just thinking about Hamlet, let alone the rest of Shakespeare's works. Want to take my modules for me? My rethinking Shakespeare seminar leader would love you. And I would probably spend literally the whole seminar arguing with him for suggesting that Hamlet is lucid for the entire play and deliberately causing havoc and abusing Ophelia just for entertainment. What happened to there's so many different possibilities for interpretation? Some interpretations are wrong. Hmm. We are so off topic and this audio is still going. Unless you'd like to turn this into a Shakespeare rant podcast. Which I'm sure you have more than enough fuel for. You must have memorised enough Shakespeare for several seasons worth of content. Why must you mock my love of Shakespeare in this way? I just want to lose my mind and pick flowers by River Bella. Is that too much to ask? You're welcome to do that any time. Oh, I knew I could count on you to be supportive. Anyway, future Nicks. With me today is my lovely co-host, Bella Crow, housemate, enabler, biggest fan of yours truly. 
she's here because I think talking to a recorder is weird and I need validation when I'm acting and she's got the best reaction face to everything never be on her team for poker poker doesn't have teams you're no fun but I'm better company than the recorder right so I have a lot going for me I don't know if I put it inside a hoodie with a pair of glasses peeking out I'm not sure I could tell the difference oh okay wow I'll just go then I have a truly fascinating essay on a vindication of the rights of women, just begging to be written. No, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'll exile the recorder to the wardrobe. You know you're the only audience for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we should probably get started in one of those monologues, huh? I've uh, got a seminar in a couple <laughs> of hours, I haven't done any of the reading for. Are you planning on doing any of the reading? I mean, no but I need at least 20 minutes to mentally prepare the bullshit I'm going to need to wing it. Fair beans. Let's get started. Which one are you going to read today? Um, I was thinking maybe this one. I read over a couple earlier and this one seems like a shorter one. Considering how much of a mess this recording already is, and since it's the first one too, probably want to start it slow, get back into the swing of things. I mean, all my drama modules are theory this term, so I literally haven't done any script work since May. Let's see. Eliana Wickham, a professor of astrophysics whose wife went missing several months ago. Starting on a high note then. Nice name, I guess. Yeah, well, you know me. Morbid and bittersweet. Hmm. And you just want me to sit here? Should I look at you? Should I look somewhere else? I don't want to put you off or anything. No, no, you can look at me, it's okay. If anything, you'll make my performance better. I like it when you look at me. I, I mean, just because it's like having a legit audience watch. Right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, I'll just sit here. Um, whenever you're ready, go for it. I believe in you. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I wouldn't dream of it. Unless it turns out to be a comedy, then I might have to excuse myself. <laughs> okay, cool. Huh. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. That's what they want to hear from me, so that's what I've been telling them. I don't know who believes the lie less, but they're the ones asking me to lie, begging me, so I can't quite find it in myself to feel guilty. I mean, how can they expect me to be fine? Is Breed supposed to have an expiration date? Is Hope? Am I supposed to just wake up one day, look at that cold, cavernous other side of our bed and shrug, and just say, oh, well, time to move on? Am I supposed to collect the mail on the doormat addressed to her and not trace the letters of her name? Catch myself cooking a meal for two, setting a second place at the dinner table, and not curl up in the alcove under the stairs with a bottle of wine, sitting in the shadow of her painting easel I haven't dared to move. It sounds sad, probably, to you. Wearing her perfume, sleeping on her side of the bed, watching her favourite movie, Stardust, of course. It's not the same, watching without her running commentary. She's a folklorist, you know, so it was always all these things about story structure and fairy tales, different possible influences from medieval literature. It went right over my head. I'm an astrophysicist. I lecture at the university. To me, the stars are... I mean, they're miracles, really. There's already enough in this world that defies explanation without making things up. But... She was always so animated, talked over the whole movie, that we've watched it enough times now, I know the whole plot back to front. That image of her sticks in my head, the lights in the living room down low, lit only by the television, 
legs tangled together. She's wearing my hoodie. It's far too big for her, and it looks just right. Her eyes reflect the light of the TV, seem to glow just on their own, just from the energy spilling out of her. And she talks with her hands, with her whole body getting faster and faster, as if the words can't come out of her fast enough, because look at this amazing thing, Ellie. Hunt's story's wonderful. Isn't the universality of the human experience, the constancy stretched across time and space and culture, just the best thing you've ever seen? And then she'll pause for breath, and she'll look at me with those wide, glowing eyes. Are you still listening, Ellie? Am I boring you? I'm sorry, I'll be quiet. You could never bore me, see. <laughs> God, what I wouldn't do to hear her voice again. Mum tried to get me to go to therapy the other day. Told me we're going out for lunch and led me right up to the doctor's office. It's not healthy, she says, the way I'm going about things. I'm in denial. Of course I'm in denial. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. It doesn't make me delusional. I deny what everyone else has just up and decided is the truth because I know Zelda isn't dead. I just know it. I would feel if she was gone. She's missing, yes, but that doesn't mean anything. It certainly doesn't mean dead. I can't tell if they wish I would start grieving or stop. I'm not sure if they know, if I know, if I'm grieving or not. My friends and family have fallen into two camps. The first believe I'm just in denial, like my mum. That pesky first stage of grief, ignoring the facts in favour of reckless, fruitless hope. She isn't dead. They think I need to accept the way things are. I need to grieve, skip through everything, and sink into that melancholy blue, that infinite depression that comes with stage four. The rest think I've dragged this out long enough. They see my fevered outburst. She's not dead. I'm not crazy. They see those as anger. The second stage. Anger at the world, at Zelda, at myself. Useless, destructive anger. I need to get on with it. Move on with my life. Hold an honorary funeral with an empty casket and go back out into the world. Tay again, even. None of them see the laundry pile hidden in the wardrobe. Or the empty bottles of wine I seem to be collecting like I'm back at uni. They don't see the missing posters I've put up around the city, the flyering, the money I've spent looking for some magic fix. Like I'm speed running the first four stages all at once. I met this guy in the city who told me I should try going to places that mattered to us. Maybe I'd find what I was looking for. Places marked by us, our milestones and favourite haunts. Tried the cafe where we met, the bar where we first kissed, nothing. So I went to the place she proposed to me. Orsa in Hill. Strange there to think you're still in London. Not even that far from central, and yet it's so green. You can see houses sprawling in the distance, feel like you're on top of the world. But it's also far away. Wembley Stadium, nothing more than a white smudge on the horizon, a blur that could be buildings or clouds. We used to go up there a lot before. In summer, you can climb the hill and have a picnic under this one huge lone tree at the summit. At night, you can see more stars than almost anything in the city. The faint ghost of galaxies beyond. That night, she led me up to the summit. I climbed up the tree to its highest point, cracked glow sticks and waved them up at the sky, as if we could tell the stars in semaphore. Hello. 
We nestled them amongst the leaves to light our way, shared a shitty bottle of champagne between breaths of lavender perfume and lip gloss, and when she wrapped the muslin around my finger in a silver loop and, and asked me to be hers, I thought that night would last forever. I mean, when you look at the stars, you're really looking at what they looked like tens or hundreds or thousands of years ago because the light has taken so long to reach us. Time travel, if you like. So maybe really that night has lasted. The light of those glow sticks is still making its way through space. By the time our flickering message reaches them, I will be long dead and there will be no one to receive their reply, assuming we speak the same language at all. Assuming the stars had any interest in a small planet so intent on tearing itself apart. I think that's one of the reasons Zelda likes Stardust so much. The idea that something so infinite and powerful as a star could possibly love something so fleeting. Three months after Zelda vanished, I went back to our hill under the stars. To our tree that remembered her handwriting. Our initials carved into its bark. It was so dark, and the stars so bright. I felt the claustrophobia of an atmosphere smothering the sky. I could see the curve of the world from its edges, like I was standing inside the spine of a book, watching the cover close, trapping me between the pages. I stood there, and I felt the stars just looking down at me, and I just screamed at them. How unfair it all was. How I just wanted to know where she was, where she is. Because I'm sure she's alive, but even if I didn't, I just want to know. Anything, anything at all is better than this. I think I lost it a bit. I was, I am angry at Zelda. For leaving me behind. I don't know how long, I just stared at the sky, waiting. Just me and my heartbeat and the ache in my throat. And after a while, the world just felt so loud. Raw, like the world was silent. Not just quiet, not just the chirp of crickets and the rustle of wind. There was nothing. I was entirely alone on that hill, with nothing but the sky screaming silent back, the ringing in my ears. Took me a while to figure it out. Too long, maybe, but I have. Where else would you be that you'd leave no note, no trace, no hope? I don't know why, but I know what I have to do. I just need the strength for it. For Zelda. Anything for her. I'm coming, babe. You're coming home. Damn, Pixie. That was some performance. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I Yeah, that, that was a good one, wasn't it? Don't know how you're going to top that for the next one. The pressure, God. I wonder if any of these extracts are from the same thing. How do you want to know what happens to Zelda now? I'll have a look. I'll see if I can find anything. Maybe you should have chosen one a bit less intense to start off, huh? I don't know. I feel like the drama suits you. The dramatic protagonist, lovesick and searching. Will she find her lost lover? Will she fall prey to the beast in the woods? 
Will she give up and go home and get some therapy? Which she definitely needs, even if her wife actually is alive. It's all to play for. Well, thank you. Maybe I can cut it out now. I've peaked. No need to read any more monologues, since this one will probably even work for auditions. Well, I mean, there's always room for improvement, you know. Practice makes perfect and all. And I suppose I could spare a little more time for you now and then to listen, if you still require your one and only audience. You know I do. Always. Cool, then. It's sorted. Same time next week? Yeah, sounds good. Though I can't promise any sort of regular schedule. That's okay. It's not as if either of us even has a schedule. Or sleeps. Might piss off Sam if I'm doing dramatic readings at 3am. Sam knowingly moved into a house with a drama student and an insomniac. He knew what he was getting in for when he signed up. Well, I have a seminar to be prepping for, and you have a sequel monologue to find. Alright, I wouldn't be opposed to a fanfiction sequel, so long as you don't tell me. I'm dying to know how the story ends. Oh look, there's so many papers here, I might be here forever. I believe in you, although maybe consider some actual uni work at some point too. You can talk. Yes I can. Look at me, walking out of this room despite your incredibly alluring charm, off to do uni work. Anyway, really, talk later. Love you. Yeah, love you. Oops. The Attic Monologues is written and produced by Morgan Greensmith. It is directed by L.M. Clohessy and sound designed by Wilkie Morrison and Anna Leclerc. In this episode, you heard the voices of... Atlas Morgan as Nix Ryland. Admiral Ryan as Bella Crow. The logo was designed by Ailey Lang. The social media is run by Soren Briarwood. Find us on Twitter at Attic Monologues and on Tumblr, Instagram and Facebook at The Attic Monologues. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review or tell a friend to listen. Every little helps. Any comments or questions, shoot us a message or email us at theatticmonologues at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Episode 2, For the Trees, will be out on Wednesday 28th of April. See you then!